Hello, everybody, and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, thank you for joining us again. My name is Richard, quote, unquote, KB5JBV. And uh, over there in the in the pine forest is Russ. Hello, Russ. How you been? Uh, I've had better days, but I think things are finally looking up. I've got the Mac back and working. We're actually able to record a podcast, and my call sign's still K5TUX. So it can't all be bad. Oh, well, for those of y'all that run Macs out there, just want y'all to know here at Linux in the Ham Shack, the joke is going around, uh, how do you get applesauce? Mac plus a hammer equals applesauce. All right, well, we're a little bit late recording this, and that's fine. Uh, it's post-field day. I understand a lot of folks uh, really had a good time over field day. I'm trying to collect up some information for the other show, and we're not even going to talk about field day anymore. So, what do you think we uh, get some email, Russ? You got more than I do. Why don't you get started? Well, let me see what I can dig up here. You caught me off guard, so I'm going to have to go into the mailbag. Well, on guard. <laughs> Quote, unquote, email. I'm sorry. I forgot. While you're searching for email, I'm going to tell a story. I was listening to Linux Cranks, and they were in, interviewing a guy from uh, Fedora out at the Southeast Linux Fest. We will talk about Southeast Linux Fest now because only a few people are talking about it now. Uh, he was the guy that's in between the end user and the sales department. So he was a real power word, drilled down into the subject kind of salesman kind of guy. And every other phrase had quote unquote in it somewhere. So I just want y'all to know that I am Richard quote unquote KB5JBV and Russ is here with the email. All right. The first quote-unquote email I've got is from Don, Whiskey Sierra for Echo. And he emailed me a few days ago, actually sometime last week. And he's got a few interesting points here and a couple of comments. It's uh, rather a long email, so I'm going to try and uh, cut this down just a little bit so we don't have a 15-minute segment on this one. He says, Russ, I finally made the switch over to Linux and have not booted up Windows and run that so-called deluxe program. Oh, it's quote-unquote deluxe program for a few weeks now. I know most of the basic programs from the podcast, but naturally being a new user, I did a little exploring. Here are a couple of things I thought would be worth sharing. Uh, he says he uses SuperOS, which is formerly known as Super Ubuntu or Super Ubuntu. As, or, no, that would, I guess that would be Supper Ubuntu for his install distribution. It has everything you need for a base OS already installed and ready to go, including Firefox, various codecs, proper versions of Sun Java, Flash, Wine, and so on. In fact, I was able to, I'm reading again, in fact, I was able to get my HT programming programs, VX7 Commander, VX5 Commander, working by running wine setup.exe in quotes i guess i should do that again quote wine setup.exe unquote and running their installers all i had to do was create the links in dos ports to the right tty devices everything worked like a charm that was a paraphrase uh his second bullet here is psk is my favorite mode right now so naturally i started to use fl digi i did manage to get the new 3.11 version running it has a nice logbook integrated that is worth taking a look at and not currently included with the 3.0 version in Ubuntu. 
You might want to give it a spin, but keep in mind it only runs on Ubuntu 9.10 and up. I could not get it to run on 9.04. So I didn't take a look at any of that latest version of FLDG, but at least it's apparently working under Super Ubuntu and presumably uh, later versions of regular Ubuntu. Well, it's my understanding, uh, I think Super Ubuntu is one that I downloaded uh, six or eight months ago, and it took up the better part of a DVD, and it had everything but the kitchen sink. And there's been some chatter on uh, chatter on the Linux Ham news group about uh, the newer versions of FL Digi. There's some, uh, some issues they're trying to work out, but when they get finished, it'll be better than ever. All right, so what else you got, Russ? Well, I'm still working on this one, so let me get down to the end here. He actually has two third bullets, but we'll go with the first one. I like to do AMSAT work, and while gpredict is nice, he found a really cool application for satellite called Satscape. And he gives a URL here, which I'll put in the show notes. Satscape is a Java application, and uh, I was going to talk a little bit about Java. We'll probably hold off on that a little bit till next segment. And he also has uh, information on another Java application called JLog, which is a Java program for ham logging, which he also particularly likes. Apparently, it comes with EQSL and Logbook of the World support, has DX cluster functionality built in. Finishes up with, that's it. Keep up the great podcasts. And that's from Don, Whiskey Sierra 4 Echo. So thanks very much, Don, for the input and the feedback, and we will keep up our part of the bargain over here, and we'll take a little bit of an excursion into Java, maybe a two-minute excursion into Java uh, later on in the podcast. What do you think about that one? Well, I've been hearing a lot of buzz all over the uh, newer Java apps that have been coming along, and uh, Satscape, there used to be, years ago, there was... Uh, a satellite tracking program called Satscape. This may be an offshoot of it. I don't know, but it uh, it ran on that other operating system, and it was a doggone good program. Uh, I hope this Java Java version is uh, is somewhere close. And JLog, I'll have to check that one out myself and uh, see what we got. Okay, so uh, what else you got, Russ? This one's from Bob K4BB. Uh, that's Bravo Bravo. I believe he's referring to a comment that was made on the previous podcast about running Ham Radio Deluxe under Linux, which is a topic that Richard keeps thinking I'm uh, keeping him out of the loop on. But that's not the case, because my uh, source or my information on a Linux version of Ham Radio Deluxe was apparently in error. But Bob K4BB says there is a way to do this. And that is to use mono develop, and I guess that would be mono develop. I've heard some uh, conflicting reports about the pronunciation of mono lately, but apparently it's Spanish for monkey. So we'll go, we'll go, we'll go with mono at monodevelop.com, um, which is for developing and running .NET software under Linux, Mac, and uh, even it's even portable for Windows, which is interesting because uh, .NET is a Windows framework, but. Anyway, uh, he says if you create a .NET program in Visual Studio, like Ham Radio Deluxe apparently is, you can port it to Linux using Mono Develop, and it supposedly will work. His comment is there is little technical reason to not port Ham Radio Deluxe to Linux. 
I guess we just have to get Simon to uh, agree that that's the case and go ahead and do it. Uh, he also says, I enjoy the Linux in the Hamshack podcasts. Thanks, 7-3, and that's Bob, Kilo 4, Bravo, Bravo. So thanks again for the props, Bob, and we will look into HRD under Linux as far as we can, but I think it's up to the developer to decide whether he wants to port it over to MonoDevelop or not. So I think you've got some more from Bob over there, or if you want to comment on this one. Oh, yeah, well, uh, I've heard, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with Mono, and I've been planning on uh, attempting to load some uh, .NET software on uh, my Ubuntu machine and see if it would fly under Mono. And maybe it may be Spanish for monkey, which would make sense because this is the only place in town where you'll find a monkey podcasting. They call him quote unquote Richard KB five JBV. <laughs> now, uh, thank you, Bob. Yes, uh, thank you for that email. And uh, Bob is quite prolific, y'all. I got three more from him here, so uh, uh, we'll just take a pause in between them and and see what happens. First one says uh, this one was posted in the forums over at Black Sparrow Media, and it says I am running a bit behind on the LHS podcast. I got up to episode 13 last night, and I believe this is the one where WD4BOB discussed using UNet booting in the process of installing CrunchBang Linux on a netbook. Although UNet booting is a weird name, it works great. Just like WD4BOB said, it seems better than downloading a distro, burning a disk, and then installing the distro. Thanks, guys. For an interesting podcast, the other Bob, Bob K4BB, and Unet Booting, yeah, uh, I I have heard a lot of good stuff about that. Uh, tried it with a, <laughs> a thumb drive I've got over here, but unfortunately, that particular thumb drive uh, doesn't want to boot from it. But uh, I'm gonna give it another shot when I get a chance and. Uh, We'll see how that comes out. What do you think about uh, UNet booting, Russ? Actually, I had my first experience with UNet booting the other day. I recently installed, I recently wiped off my home client PC. I took off Ubuntu. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't have Ubuntu. I took off Debian, and I installed Linux Mint. And I got to say that I was highly impressed with Linux Mint, and so I'm still running it. So what I did after that is I wanted to install it on my laptop, so I went ahead and downloaded UNet Bootin, downloaded the re- most recent version of Linux Mint, uh, Linux Mint 7, that's Gloria, and used UNet Bootin with my one gigabyte thumb drive to install it on my laptop. And now I've got Linux Mint uh, on both of my most used machines. And uh, i got to say, I'm really, really enjoying it. So all those uh, Mint fans out there, I'm one of you now. Well, there you go. And, um, Mint, you know, uh, I've always been a fan, fan of Mint. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite suit my needs here. Otherwise, I probably would have been running it a long time ago. Okay, the next one we have from Bob <laughs> came uh, via the website as feedback on uh, on the Black Sparrow Media website. And uh, since it uh, does mention the show, I decided to include it here. It says, Hi, Richard. I enjoy the Linux in po- Hamshack podcast, and I want to congratulate you and Russ on a really good-sounding production. There are other uh, Linux-related podcasts that simply don't have the audio quality of LHS, nor the content planning. Oh, Bob, if you only knew. 
Now keep that under your hat. You don't want to let out all our secrets, do you? Your websites, on the other hand, are a little confused for an old guy like me. I had to really read the menus at the Black Sparrow Media site to get the LHS podcast, get to the LHS podcast site and the resonant frequency site. Which reminds me, why are there two resonant frequency sites? One for podcast and one for blog. I answer that in a minute. All I was looking for were the RSS feeds. I don't know what, uh, what you are into with the paranormal stuff. Well, being from Roswell, Georgia, we'll talk about that in a minute too. Uh, paranormal stuff, but even Linux in the ham shack can be considered paranormal in this age. Good luck on that. Once again, thanks for a great podcast. Bob, K4BB. Okay, Bob. Uh, the resonant frequency website, uh, you have to understand that I maintain that by myself along with several other websites, uh, do two podcasts and a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, yes, it has got behind. I've been working on it the last week. I will take your suggestions into consideration and see what we can do as far as there being uh, a site a site for the resonant frequency podcast and resonant frequency blog i'm not sure if you were looking at the uh, old stuff because there's you know once you put something on the web it's out there forever Uh, you might have been looking at some of the older blog sites or it may be an issue at the black sparrow media site which i will be looking into but i will to get that taken care of and as far as the RSS feeds, we try to keep the podcast separated from Black Sparrow Media because at some point it will not be in the uh, true Linux and amateur radio philosophy at some point. And that's the way I'll leave that. Now, living in Roswell, Georgia, I know that if y'all had little people walking around out there, that their ride probably wouldn't be busted. So, what do you have to say about that one, Russ? I don't know if I should comment on that. I'm not even sure I understand your comment about Georgia and the little people. You know, we were talking about fighting with people in the last episode about uh, folks out in uh, folks out out in New Mexico, but they were probably walking because their ride was busted. Speaking of other people, I was listening to the ICQ podcast the other day and finally caught up with them and see that uh, we got a mention over there. And thanks to Colin and Martin for finally mentioning us on their podcast, and here we are mentioning them again. Well, that's like I said, they're pretty good folks over there. And uh, some people drew misconception there was a feud going on. There was not. So y'all don't worry about it. Go listen to ICQ Podcast. Okay, last but not least, we got one more from Bob, and I'm saving the best for last. This was posted also through the uh, the uh, feedback email on the Black Sparrow Media website. Hey, Richard, I just discovered Resonant Frequency and Linux in the Ham Shack Podcast in the last month and enjoy them i also enjoy the music even though sometimes i think that the bandwidth necessary to download it might be a waste keep it coming the shows and the music good job good show bob k4bb bob uh as far as this one's concerned i'm i'm really not sure what spirit it was written in the bottom line is the music part of the format we are not a news show we are somewhere in the gray area of entertainment. So, what do you think about that, Russ? I was about to say the same thing. I think we're more along the lines of education and uh, infotainment 
than uh, news. And there are lots of podcasts out there, particularly amateur radio podcasts that broadcast news content. And that's a format that's really easy to get out there because all of the information is right there in front of you and all you have to do is read it. And I'll tell you what, when you're listening to somebody reading, what you're hearing is somebody reading. And I think we're trying to be a lot more interesting and a lot more dynamic than that. And music is part of that formula. You know, I think we've hit on a pretty good format and we don't try and belabor the music too much. There's only, uh, you know, 12 or 15% of the podcast taken up by music and it's easily skipped over if that's an issue. So I like the way things are going. I like what we do here. I like the format and uh, I think Linux in the Hamshack is going to stick to our guns on this one. However, you as the listeners are welcome to send us comments on uh, things concerning the show and uh, you know if we get enough comments about something not to not being the way you you think it ought to be, and we get enough of them from enough different people, we'll actually sit down and consider it. We're not inconsiderate. We'll definitely consider it. Well, let's see. I've got a mention on a blog. This is the Captain's Radio Shack blog at csniveek.blogspot.com. And he's got a short little post here that says, uh, Linux in the Hamshack podcast. I have started using the Ubuntu flavor of Linux. I also have found a podcast aimed for the Hamshack and Linux. It is the Linux in the Hamshack podcast. And he gives the URL for our RSS feed. Doesn't suggest that we are good or bad uh, in any way, although the fact that we get mentioned, I suspect, means that we're at least slightly above average in his view so i want to thank uh the captain and i don't uh, see any uh indication on here what his call sign may or may not be so uh, we'll have to leave it at that but i gave the url thanks for the mention there and i did want to mention that we did get we did get a second donation and i'm looking for the information on that now well, that's okay. Y'all go over and check out the Captain's Radio Shack. He's over at blogspot.com, C-S-N-L-V-E-K.blogspot.com. And I say hooray for Captain Spaulding. So maybe Russ has found his information. I have found my information. This uh, donation is from Mark. Uh, Mark K is the last name. Uh, K period. I'm not going to mention the last name. And I don't have a call sign here. But we did get a donation from Mark, and thank you very much for that. Uh, it'll go in with the other donation, and any future donations we get will be reinvested directly into the program to improve your listening experience. And uh, last but not least on the Captain Spaulding thing, uh, that would be the Groucho Marx Captain Spaulding, not the Rob Zombie Captain Spaulding. All right. I've got some notes left over here from the last time I was listening to last week's show that uh, uh, didn't quite happen uh in the chat room last week we had cheryl bill ka9wka ted w-a-0-e-i-r don ws4e uh kb3cda why didn't i put his name on here and lee kd7eth and a handful of you streamers a couple more things before we leave feedback uh Wanted to let y'all know, if y'all have a microphone that is hooked up to your uh, to your computer, 
If you have a way to do voice over IP, echo link, that kind of stuff, um, go ahead and let us know. When you show up in the live chat, let us know. Ever so often, we'd like to have some extra voices in here so y'all don't just have to listen to me and Russ. Um, one more thing before we move on. I made a, I got it. I know that I was going to say this because it says note on voicemail. We have a voicemail box where you can leave a message for the podcast. If you leave us a voicemail message, we'll do our best to get it inserted into the show so that uh, everybody can hear it. And the number for that is 417-429-4069. Call the number and leave a message. It's that that easy. You can do it from your telephone, your cell phone, your computer, uh, whatever situation you might want to try. Okay, uh, anything else as far as feedback, Russ? Yeah, I got, let me, let me just throw in a couple more mentions here. I've got, uh, we've been mentioned on a blog and in the Techie Geek podcast at thetechiegeek.com. In the last episode there, he mentioned us as a resource for Linux information. So I want to mention that we've, uh, got a permanent link or a new mention, I believe, on Solder Smoke. We were, uh, referred to in a comment over there. I believe they're already up on our blog roll, so just another thank you to Solder Smoke blog. I do have a an email I missed here from uh, Kent. He's a uh, long, long time listener. He was with us from the very beginning, but let me get to this uh, after the break because I'm sure we've rambled on long enough. We can uh, we can hit this one and then roll into the next topic. Alrighty, and before we, uh, before we go to the break, let me add, uh, Russ Winter over at Techie Geek did, uh, mention us in his, uh, podcast. In fact, we're in the show notes over there, and, uh, y'all go over and, uh, give a listen to Russ. He used to do the, uh, Distro Watch weekly news, weekly podcast, and now he's, uh, exclusively doing his own, which is the Techie Geek. Uh, I'd also like to thank Russ, if, if he's listening, and he, uh, he claims to be a listener because uh, he. I was watching the chat room at another live show, and uh, he turned me on to a four gig Sansa clip audio player that uh, he had found over at Buy.com for thirty five dollars. These are refurbished, but they uh, they work just fine. I've got one now sitting on the desk, and that's half the price of a new one. And these refurbished ones are just as good as a new one. Uh, as of listening to his Techie Geek today, they, it appears they're also carrying them over at Newegg. So, y'all, uh, y'all go check some of that stuff out. We'll be back in a minute. Before there ever was a you and me, the endless void of a dark black sea and a giant oyster, the mother of all things. And the oyster made a pearl, and the pearl became a world. And the world began to turn And the sun began to burn And one day I met you and I fell in love And you broke my tender heart And so here we are But there was always the moon 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 Slender branch of a gentle tree and a big red fruit that hung low to the ground. 
you picked it out of spite And you took a careless bite And the world was not the same And we all know who to blame So now when you think of me Do you think of when there was still a chance But it's over so here we are But there was always the moon 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 Remember when there was a you and me When there was such a thing as gravity And the tides came in and the tides went out again But the water got too high And the sun began to die tried to make you stay but the world pulled you away and now there are darker longer colder nights and the sun has gone for good and so here we are but there is always the moon 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 Okay, and uh, now we're back for starting up stuff part two. And uh, Russ has still got one email left. Bad, bad Russ. Go ahead, Russ. <laughs> I know. It's all my fault. It happens, though. And I do want to get this in because Kent is very good at leaving us feedback, and he's got some good in information in this one. So uh, this is from Kent, V-E-4-K-E-H. And he is referring back to our episode where we, where I rambled on quite significantly about SSH and mentioned that you could uh, forward uh, applications from a Linux machine to a Windows machine using SSH. There was a part that I believe I talked about but didn't get too specific on. He says, I think you also need to run Xming on the Windows SSH client in addition to Putty. And that's the part that I wasn't specific about. I did say that you needed an X server on your Windows machine, but I didn't say what the X server was. And Xming, X-M-I-N-G, is the Windows client, or I'm sorry, is the X server for Windows that you'll need if you want to forward an application from a remote Linux machine to your Windows desktop. And you'll need that along with an SSH client like Putty. He goes on to say, SSH, the client, has a command line switch, dash capital C, which enables compression. I don't know how effective it is. I also don't know how effective it is. Most of the data that passes over an SSH tunnel is uh, binary in nature, especially if you're dealing with video or application data. So I'm suspecting that compression doesn't do all that much for you, but in some circumstances it might, so it may be worth uh, using the dash capital C option just as a force of habit i'm going to try it the next few times i use ssh to remote forward something and see if it does anything and i'll get back to everybody on that he also says a few months ago there was a discussion on linux ham yahoo group about remote control someone claimed that remote desktop was faster than x11 forwarding i used vnc and x11 forwarding back when i was using puppy linux but i didn't recall making any comparisons 
Of course, there are fewer display size mapping problems when using X11 forwarding. Uh, this is actually very true. There is a very, very good data compression algorithm in remote desktop protocol that, as far as I'm concerned, blows away any other remote forwarding. X forwarding and like VNC forwarding, well, VNC forwarding has some compression, X forwarding has no compression. Because of that, they both take up much, much more bandwidth. So unless you have a really big pipe, uh, you'd be better off using remote desktop proto- protocol. Remote desktop protocol. The only problem with RDP is it's a Microsoft thing. He also says GNOME has some nice little tools for accessing SSH servers. One in particular allows you to access the files on a server through Nautilus. I suspect KDE has similar features. I'm guessing whatever that is, he doesn't say what it is, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm assuming it uses SSHFS or something that imitates it in order to give you a transparent look at remote files. And with that, he says, later, guys, Kent, VE4KEH. So thanks once again, Kent, for writing in, giving us that valuable information, and I will include the uh, gist of that, and I will dig up the URLs for the things you mentioned here and put them in the show notes. So anything you have to come on that before we finally get off the email and roll into something interesting? Well, you know... uh... <laughs> Not really, because I haven't even gotten to the stage of doing the forwarding thing. Uh, all I've ever used is remote desktop and, uh, haven't done anything like that. Well, I did use VNC at one point, but, uh, hey, it sounds like he's pretty much got it all covered. So that would be the re- last of the email. Uh, he did mention the, uh, Yahoo, Linux Am Yahoo group. Y'all go over and check that out. That's at groups.yahoo.com stroke group stroke Linux ham and uh you know the kind of stuff you see over there is they're constantly talking about upgrading some of these uh, applications and stuff like that and uh you know over the last few weeks one of the things I saw is uh they announced uh FLDG 3.11.5 you can go find that over at the www.w1hkj.com website and that CQR now interfaces with uh, FLDG. So they're constantly putting stuff across there about uh, Linux-related software that you can use as an amateur radio operator. I've got two more things to mention, and then we I promise we'll move on, y'all. We did get a mention on a uh, fairly new podcast recently, and I'm only going to say this one, say this this way one time so that Russ only has to bleep me once. Uh, Monster B has started a new show called Tit Radio, and TIT is Today in Tech. So TIT Radio Podcast, and that's at uh, titradio.info. I want to also say hello to Azimuth, who is also another podcaster, also known as Wayne, KB7CFD. I just want to remind you guys, don't fear the badger. All right. So uh, before we move on to anything else, do you have anything else to say on these <laughs> this particular subject, Russ? Um, I fear the badger. Do not fear the badger. I'll tell you the badger story later, but we can't put it on the podcast. <laughs> All right. No, I'm done. Let's go ahead and move on to something else. I think feedback generates more feedback. Pretty soon we're going to go into an infinite loop here, and we're going to have a 17-hour podcast. So let's move on. 
well, you know, that's, uh, they got the problem solved over at Go and Lennox. They do one show a month of show, and they do one show a month of podcasts. They do the same thing over at Astronomy Cast. So uh, uh, if we end up, I would like to be in a position where we were uh, having to worry about that. Okay, so uh, let's see where we are. Oh, yes, I'd also like to thank Bill, K-9-W-A-K, for an invitation to LinkedIn. So, uh uh, Bill, I'll take care of that as soon as I get a chance. All right, Russ, why don't you start off with the uh, start off with your Java stuff, and we'll just kind of go from there. We'll kind of wing it. Some of that advanced planning that we do. I actually didn't have a lot to say about Java. I just wanted to bring it up as an alternative to some of the things that we've been talking about. Most of the applications that we've brought up in previous podcasts are things that are specific to Linux. In other words, they're written for a Linux environment, like they're written in C. We've talked about some ways to convert Windows applications into a use, you know, a viable alternative on Linux as well by using Wine or virtualization or something else like that. One of the things we really haven't brought up a lot is ways to use cross-platform applications under Linux as well. And uh, with that email we got uh, that I mentioned earlier on the podcast it brought up the topic of Java and other runtime environments. And I just wanted to let people know that um, there are neat runtime environments out there, Java being one of them, that allows application developers to write programs that run on any operating system. And a lot of good programs out there run under these uh, virtual environments. The only problem I see with them is that they tend to be a little bit slower because there you're running another layer you know you're running linux then you're running the java virtual environment and then you're running an application inside of java and so they can be slower you know if you've got a reasonably fast machine you're not going to notice this kind of thing uh there's also another environment out there that's becoming more popular called adobe air and adobe air and java and Silverlight and all of these things do exactly the same thing. They create virtual environments to run applications in. Silverlight is um, Microsoft, Windows, and maybe Mac OS only. I don't think there's uh, Silverlight for Linux yet, uh, and I'm not sure that there will be, and I'm not sure that even if there is one that anyone would actually use it. One of my favorite applications for doing social networking is TweetDeck, and that's one that runs under Adobe Air. That's an Air environment application, and it's a really, really good application and a really good use of the Air environment. I really didn't have a whole lot. I just wanted to spout off a little bit about Java and virtual you know, runtime environments just so people know that these things exist and if you want to run applications that are cross-platform or specifically on Linux, you can use things like Java and Air uh, to run these applications. And they're not native to the operating system, and they may be a little slower than your average native application, but it will allow you to run some really cool things uh, under Linux or under Windows if that's your cup of tea. And, of course, all of these things will run on Mac OS uh, 10 as well. Well, uh, one of the things I would like to say about, uh, you did mention, uh, Adobe Air is there is a Linux version of Adobe Air and it runs, uh, absolutely wonderfully under, uh, Ubuntu and Debian because I've run TweetDeck and, uh, Twirl both on, uh, some of my Linux machines and it's worked just fine. 
that that's pretty much the the whole deal on java is it that was my deal on java i just wanted to get it out there and i think most people know that java exists a lot of people are familiar with javascript because they hear about vulnerabilities and stuff like that in browsers and all that kind of thing and people should know that javascript is not java they're two totally different things even though they have basically the same name so not to get them confused, but if you uh, want to run some cool programs out there, a lot of them, like TweetDeck and some other things, use the uh, use Air. And uh, some of the applications like uh, Satscape and um, what was the other one we talked about, JLog, run under Java. And, of course, those environments exist for Windows, Mac OS X, and Linux. So you can run those applications under any of those operating systems. Well, there you go. I myself try to stay away from Java because I don't even like coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like coffee either, but I like Java. Well, there you go. Well, no, actually, I don't like Java. I don't personally like Java. I wouldn't code in it, but when you get those applications you want to run, you know, Java becomes necessary. So what are you going to do? Well, there you go. Well, you know, there's just too many, too many programming languages, not enough time. In fact, I was talking with a guy out at, uh, guy at the mesquite field day about uh we were talking about fl digi of all things because he was running fl digi out there uh, for their digital station and uh you know i was telling him i wish i'd have never stopped fooling with it because now i wouldn't be so far behind okay so we had our first break we did our email now we've talked a little bit about java you got anything else before we proceed russ no, I'm done. My day has been such that I'm going to let you ramble on about your topic of the evening, and hopefully everyone will love this one. It's one that's been on the table for a while, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it, since I personally don't know a thing about it. So go ahead. Okay, y'all hold tight. For those of y'all who are tired of hearing about D-Star, you can stop the recording now or move to the next piece of music. However... We're not exactly going to talk about D-Star. There are some folks out there that have a problem with D-Star because they want to scream and holler that it's proprietary and everything else. Now, the research I've done is uh, pretty much coming up that the only thing that's proprietary is the uh, AMBE vocoder chip, and that's something that sooner or later will get back engineered and we'll be in good shape. But we're not going to talk about D-Star exclusively. We're going to talk about uh, D-Star low-speed data which is one of the most overlooked uh, things in the D-Star system. Uh, you can run data at, uh, I believe it's 4800 baud, over the air on VHF using uh, the encryption involved in D-Star. And most specifically, some of y'all have probably used uh, D-Star chat if you're into that kind of thing, which is, uh, last time I looked at it, it was pretty sad because it's just barely a terminal. But tonight I'd like to talk about uh, DRATs which is a uh, an alternative to that, which is written by a fellow named Dan. Uh, he changed his call sign since the last time I, I checked. Dan KK7DS, I believe. He's got a nice little website called www.drats.com. And you can go over and take a look at this. The benefit of DRATS is, is not only does it run on uh, Windows, and the uh, Apple computers, it also runs on Linux. This is because DRATS is written in Python. So any computer that uh, has a Python interpreter on it, in it, loaded on it, attached to it, somewhere near it, uh, can run DRATS. 
And not only does he have the terminal program, there's also included in the uh, in the uh, package that you download is a repeater program. It's a pretty basic repeater program, but it has potential. So let's uh, let's talk about installation on this for a moment. Uh, first of all, normal Windows user, all they have to do is download the uh, Win32 installer package and install it like any other program in Windows. Now it's a little more a uh, little more complicated if you're a developer and you want to take a look at it and maybe try and improve it and all this other good stuff. This is technically open source because when you uh, when you download it, you get the source code. On Windows, you have to download it separately, but it's you can you can get it and it doesn't cost you anything. In the case of you developers, if you do that, you're going to need to install Python, and since this is written with the the GTK uh, tools, you're going to have to have the GTK runtime environment, PY Cairo, PY Go Object. PYGTK, Win32 All, and PY Serial. And when you download those, you'll be ready to get going. On the Mac OS, there's a uh, a package for for the Macs, and these are the Intel Macs. There is a version, one of the older versions that will run on the PowerPC Macs. As far as the rest, it's designed for the Intel Macs. Okay, so you download that installer and install it. Okay, if you're going to install it on the Linux platform, is going to be a little more to it. That's because it's probably going to run better on the Linux. I, I mean, it runs better on my Linux machines than it did on my laptop. In the case of uh, Linux, you go ahead and download uh, the file that it says it's a source file. And once you get it installed, it's a bunch of Python scripts. But you'll get that downloaded, you'll get it installed. Uh, there's a uh, RPM package for PY serial if uh, you have to go that direction. Now in Debian and Ubuntu, you're going to have to down, you're going to have to install also Python serial, Python GTK2, Python uh, libxml2, Python libxsltl. On the uh, Fedora or Red Hat systems, you're going to have to down, download those. Plus Python feed parser and PY serial. On CentOS, you're going to have to download all of that, and that's where you'll run into the uh, uh, RPM package for PY serial. And you can install those using apt with no problem. Once you've installed uh, those pro those uh, libraries through uh, apt in uh, Debian and Ubuntu, because we talk about those, because that's what we use. And then you install the uh, uh, source. Then all you'll have to do is go into the directory, type DRATS, and it'll come up and run. Now, it's pretty simple, and all this is explained on uh, on Dan's website, and I will give the uh, URL for that again when we get to the end of this segment. When you open the terminal, it's going to have the default information in it. You're going to need to go in, like any other terminal program, whether you were running PSK31 or whatever, and you're going to have to uh, go up to the top and put your information in. So up at the top, you'll have three options, File, View, and Help. When you go in, you'll see, you'll see uh, go into the uh, file on the menu. Uh, you'll see Broadcast Text File, Send File, Send Image, Ping Station, Main Settings, Auto QST, Quick Messages, Manage Your Templates, QST is Enabled, 
connected to internet and quit. So you go down to main settings, and this is pretty easy to set up because when you get into main settings, it's going to ask you for your call sign, your name. It's going to ask you what kind of measurement units you want to use, imperial or metric, whether you want your time to show in UTC, a ping reply message, and we'll talk about pinging in a few minutes for those of y'all who don't know what a ping is. It'll also give you the option to set up your path for uh, downloading. If you receive uh, canned messages or pictures or files over DRATs, this will help you point to the directory where you want it to download to. There's also one for uh, map storage, which has to do with the DPRS, which is the DSTAR equivalent of APRS, which I'm really not into, so I haven't checked into too heavily. You can also add uh, your uh, latitude and longitude for GPS coordinates. Uh, the benefit of DRATs is you can hook the DRATs up to uh, a GPS receiver so that you can send uh, DPRS package, packets out, it, which will only work if you're in in the neighborhood of a DPRS gateway, but that's a whole other program. Uh, the next option is going to allow you to change the colors, you know, show the colors on different stuff like incoming messages, outgoing messages, notices, that kind of stuff uh, to make it a little more pleasing to the eye. It's also going to give you the option of setting up your chat, your scroll back buffer, uh, the font you're using, logging options, and that kind of stuff. Then you get down to the radio. It's pretty simple. You just enter a serial or a, a radio port. Now I'm using the repeater, so I talk to the repeater from my terminal program. So instead of putting a serial port in, I put a network address in. And we, we'll talk about that when we get to the repeater. But in a lot of cases, you'll point it to the first serial port or the first USB port, dev TTY USB zero, or, uh, in Windows, you'll be able to point it at COM port. It'll also give you a port, uh, speed at which your uh, terminal will communicate. In the case of, uh, mobile radios, and if you were talking directly to a radio, in the case of mobile radios, you talk to them at 9600 baud. In the case of hand handhelds, you're looking at 38400. It'll also give you the uh, option of receiving uh, raw text and sniffing the packets. I didn't really check into that to see how how deeply uh, that goes into it. Uh, now there's settings for transfer rates, which is something you would tweak over time. And he added an option which had been missing from earlier versions, which uh, allows you to set up a uh, head and a tail for the uh, transmission delay so that uh, you don't cut off the front or back end of the packets as they go out. Because we know D-Star, uh, be, being a digital mode, it's sent out in, uh, in packets instead of a continuous stream of uh, information. And then there's a bunch of uh, TCP IP settings. Uh, you can send and receive mail through this system, uh, out through the internet, that kind of stuff. And we're not going to get too deeply into that, mainly because I haven't examined it fully. Next option on the screen is a view, which pretty much allows you to clear the screen, sets, set up some filters, and that kind of stuff. And then there's a small, well, there's a help tab, but it only shows the debug log and uh, about information. 
Now, the power of this program is the fact that you can set up pre-configured messages. Once you have it set up and plugged into your system, you can set up pre-configured messages to send out. Auto QSTs. Auto QSTs are uh, little short one-line messages that you send out at regular interval. And in the case of DRATs, you can send these things out either something like KB5, JBV, Station 1, or Red Cross or something. It will send out the message at uh, the time that you define regularly without uh, without fail. The auto QSTs are pretty simple, but you can also add weather information that you can pick up from the airports. You can send a text file or a binary file or a picture on a regular interval using auto QSTs. Now let's talk about the form manager. The form manager is the thing that's really that I thought was the greatest thing when he first installed it. And what it boils down to is you're able to create prepackaged forms. You you go in and create these forms. You can make them for uh, IC, that resemble ICS forms, uh, email forms, NTS message forms, that kind of stuff. Get all the fields set in place, and they're there. And when you go to the form manager, all you have to do is click the new button. It'll ask you what kind. You you click NTS form, and the form will come up. You only have to fill the fill in the fields and decide where what uh, other system to point it to, what other radio to point it to, and hit go, and it sends it. There is error correction involved, and that's another one of those things that I haven't gotten too far into at this point. At some point in the future, we will have an interview with Dan, and uh, it may be canned or it may be live. We're not sure yet, but I'm still working with him trying to trying to get that going on. He'll be able to help us out with that. The next tab down at the bottom of the screen is uh, Heard Stations. Uh, you'll be able to see uh, who's who you've heard and uh, even show their positions if they are uh, sending out uh, DPRS data, G GPS data, and that kind of stuff. Last of all, session tab, and it'll give you a, uh, an idea of what uh, you've had going on as far as sending and receiving files and that kind of stuff. All in all, it's a pretty simple terminal on the, on the surface. Uh, it'll take you some time to get down into it. The point is, this is the future of, uh, of operating digital over DRAT, over uh, DSTAR digital, and it's something we need to take a look at because Dan is putting some serious work into this thing, and being as we don't really have the packet system anymore other than uh, D APRS, which isn't really packet, him building the digipeter and that kind of stuff, I really advise y'all if you are into, D into APRS, or not APRS, if you're into uh, DSTAR, and want to check it out. The good thing about it is you can even hook into the reflectors, and I'll talk about the reflectors uh, towards the end of this because they have more to do with the uh, repeater than anything else. But you can download the program and use the rat reflector, is, is what they call it. But you can download the program and use the rat reflector even if you don't have a D Star radio, so you can kind of see what uh, this low speed D Star digital might be all about. So with that. I think what we'll probably do is go ahead and take us a break, and when I get back, we'll talk about the repeater for a few minutes. Y'all hang on.
stretch so uh we talked a little bit about the term d-rats terminal program a while ago now we're going to talk about this other program that comes along with it which is the d-rats repeater proxy now the benefits of the d-rats repeater proxy is the fact that you can set up your own little d-star digital repeater at your home using a piece of software on your computer those of you who ran the packet back in the day and i hate using back in the day 
everybody uses it. But the fact of the matter is that uh, it's very similar to some of those uh, node programs and Digipeter programs that we used in the past. And it's very simple, and it has the added benefit that it can be set up to access it over the network, or you can uh, even access it over the Internet. I was successful in doing that over this last week. Let me go through this real quick. When you first bring it up, you'll uh, be at the settings screen, and it will ask you for uh, paths, which uh, in that case will be a network path or a serial port or USB port, and it will ask you for the speed down the line to that port, and there's an add button once you get there. You know, the default is uh, TTYS0 serial port 1. Or uh, you could point it at the USB USB port one. In the case of running it exclusively over the network and not running it on the air, you don't even have to set up a port because uh, uh, unless you want to talk to another uh, DRS repeater proxy out on the internet, if you're just talking around your local network for testing purposes, like I've been doing, you don't even have to add that. But you would put that information in. They're both in drop-down boxes, so you have an opportunity to get that set up without any major problems. You click the Add button. You got it in there. You drop down. It's going to ask you about network and if you're going to accept incoming connections. If you're accepting incoming connections, you're going to have to set up a port number. The uh, default port for DRATS is 9000. That's the one I've been running on here. There's a uh, box for an ID string. The default is DRATS repeater proxy, and I can't remember whose call sign was there. Mine's there now. And next to it is a little drop-down box, which will ask you what times you would be able to you would want it to uh, go ahead and send that ID string. Reading through the documentation over at the website, I uh, did find out anywhere that there's a timer box, a box where you enter time in one way or another, uh, you can use the drop down or you can type in whatever time you like and use that particular stuff. To get the thing going down at the bottom there's a button that says on and a button that says off. Click the on button and it's on and it's running and you're up going. Now the other screen that's involved in this is the uh, monitor screen. And there's two pieces of information that show up in that monitor screen. Up at the top, there's the connected paths, which means every time a machine connects to it, whether it's off air or it's via the Internet or via your local network, it will show that uh, that connection in this box. I had as many as four connections going on in this box at one time. And down below that is the traffic monitor. And that basically, it doesn't so much monitor the chat stuff, but when you send a file or a CAN message or whatever, it shows the throughput of that in this monitor box. This is a pretty simple program, and it's a great program simply because of its simplicity. Sometimes the uh, simplest stuff is the best. So let's go back and talk about uh, a couple of a couple of things real quick. Uh, going back to the website, not only can you download from the website, uh, the website is set up on a wiki. So the information that you need is available uh, there. If it's not available there, they do have a uh, mailing list message group that you can also sign up for to ask questions, pose uh, 
uh, queries as far as problems you have and that kind of stuff. On the front page, there's a handful of how-tos on how to get the thing uh, installed, how to get started quickly with it, how to do inter- email over the internet with uh, DRATs, auto QST beacons, DPRS, and the rat flector. Now, we were going to talk about the rat flector for just a minute. Dan has two copies of this running up over at his place. One is set up on port 9000, which is a local off-the-air reflector where people can uh, plug in and test and check things out as far as their repeater program is running. And that one's on port 9000. Now, on port 9001, he has one that uh, he doesn't mind people hooking radios into. So you may very well be able to uh, make some contacts over the air through that particular reflector. Please do not connect radios to the uh, off-air repeater, reflector, because they want to keep that with no on-air traffic on it. There's also a short list of some of the some places where they try and keep a reflector up. The public on-air reflector is 9001. Now G7LTT also runs a reflector, and I don't know how he can be in Randolph, New Jersey, with a G7 call, but he is. And it's an ad hoc reflector. It's up when it's up. It's not when it's not. It also links to the WK3SS repeater at 446.625 megahertz. And also, on the Gold Coast of Queensland, Australia, VK4TUX, no relation I'm sure, has a reflector up. And that one is up 24-7. It has various links via the Internet and RF. And it has a note here that says CQST. So I'll have to check that one out and get back to it. But this is a program that you can uh, work with. For those of y'all who are reasonably familiar with Python, you can dig in and uh, and maybe help out. The mailing list, down at the bottom of the main page, there's a link to go over and sign up to the mailing list. Uh, it can be found at uh, dratchusersatlists.danplanet.com. I'm telling you. There's a lot of activity in there. They're willing to answer questions. I have never seen and never heard them say, go read the information on the website. These guys are really trying to get it going. And as far as I know, if you are a Python programmer, I believe Dan is looking for folks to try and help him out. So with that, uh, you got any thoughts on anything I've said in the last half hour, Russ? No, now I'm trying to wake up. Because your uh, mellifluous voice put me into a slumber. No, actually, while you were talking, I was uh, playing around with DRATs under uh, Mac OS because I was curious how it would work. And uh, interestingly, it works a lot like a native Linux application. It doesn't come up under the Aqua environment. It comes up under a raw X11 environment. I was following along with you and looking at all the options that it comes up with, and it looks like... Uh, exactly like you would see it under Linux and under X Windows, it doesn't even look like it belongs on a Macintosh. Well, he he wrote that kit he used on top of it was a GTK, so it he he used the uh, 
the GTK toolkit for the uh, front end on the thing is why it probably looks like it ought to be on Linux. Yeah, um, I see in the about section that he used uh, GTK and Python GTK uh, for the uh, Windows development part of it, uh, the X Windows development part of it, which made it easy for him to cross-platform or to port it over to macOS because uh, macOS has a native X environment since it's based on BSD, which is kind of interesting. And the geek inside me is wanting to uh, see if I can do something really goofy with this, like start up the X Windows server Xming under Windows and run the Linux version of DRATS under Windows just because that would be really weird. Well, my suggestion would be that you go ahead and uh, go ahead and give that a shot. I mean, the uh, Windows version doesn't run that bad. In fact, it's it's not horrible. I probably over overstated the fact that it's uh, not as great. It, there's a little bit of difference, but it runs pretty well in the Windows environment also. It's the benefit of being uh, running through the Python interpreter. It's kind of hard for Windows to get its hooks in and uh, screw it up. I see here that uh, N9DN is running uh, running a test version. He's running it on a 92AD on uh, OS 10 and a half, and appears to be becoming a little frustrated with it. But that was dated back in May, so uh, he really hasn't made a comment on uh, what's going on with him uh, at this time. Tell you the truth, the guys they've got doing the testing, it looks like the majority of them are. Uh, running it on Windows, two on a OS 10, and one on Ubuntu 804, and one on a Ubuntu 810. Uh, it does come up and run fine on Debian without uh, any issues at all, because I loaded it on the Debian machine over there when I was doing testing across the network. This is another one of those programs that I, I have uh, high hopes. Uh, you know, we were looking at... Uh, Looking at that ham distribution here a while back, and we we uh, both pretty much agreed it was one to watch. Well, DRATS, I think DRATS is the one that's going to come out on top in the uh, in the D star terminal uh, situation. So uh, with that, I guess we could probably uh, move on to any other unfinished business before we uh, wrap up for this evening. I do hope people will uh, give us some audio commentary through the uh, through the voicemail. And uh, give that number again. It's 417-429-4069. We'd love to get some feedback that way and get it put into the podcast. Uh, it'd be nice to hear somebody else's voice. We've we've had a few other voices in here, but it'd be nice to have some general commentary and questions from uh, our listeners via that way. So I know it's a long-distance call, but if you have Skype, you can call in there you can call in using my Skype ID, and you can call in using uh, Richard's Skype ID as well and leave both of us uh, messages, and we can get the audio that way as well. Now, Richard, of course, on Skype is KB5JBV, uh, not surprisingly. However, I, very surprisingly, am Lead Crayon, L-E-A-D-C-R-A-Y-O-N. Don't ask why. All right, well, that pretty much wraps it up for this uh, this edition. Uh, I'd like to thank you all, all once again for uh, coming by and visiting with us. Uh, let me remind you all that uh, if I hadn't closed the window, I could probably give you all the phone number, but Russ has already did it, and he could probably pull it out from wherever it is in the, in the uh, recording. But uh, you all send us a voicemail. 
or if you want to get in touch with me, you can send me a message at uh, kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at uh, k- uh, twitter.com stroke kb5jbv. And don't forget to visit the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. We have forums over there for Linux in the Ham Shack and Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. With that, I guess I'll throw it on over to Russ and see what he does with it. Well, I'll catch it here and give out my information. You can send me an email at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. You can post to the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com slash LHS. Um, that would be post to the website at that address. Post to the forums over at blacksparrowmedia.com. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com stroke J.R. Woodman. You can find the program on Twitter at twitter.com stroke hamshacklinux. Uh, you can check out our back episodes on the website at the live link blacksparrowmedia.com slash LHS slash live or you can look us up on ustream.tv I do keep the last uh, episode or two up there that we record live so that you can hear all of the stuff that gets cut out of the main podcast or you can listen to the stuff post-edit where we sound intelligent and uh, not quite so goofy at 11.02 at night And I guess with that, I think we've hit all the information. The phone number again, 417-429-4069. And from the valley between the peaks in the middle of the pine forest of north central Arkansas, this is Russ, K5TUX, and down there in Texas is Richard. Yeah, he always goes dirty-minded this time of night. From the bunker down here in Ball Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV, and y'all come back and see us next time.